0: Back universe to the sfbcpc BCPC S1. That's an abrev for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season One. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the Restaurant at the End of the Universe, written by Douglas Adams in Earth Year 1980. Oh. The wine and I'm, still still down. Down. Oh I'm, I'm your host Brent Aldrich, and joining me, as always, via holographic projection, it's John Love. Hey, John. Hey, Brent. Uh, so, John, I. Wanted to ask you, how's that holographic projection virus treating you? I went to the holographic projection doctor uh, yesterday, and he says it's clearing up. So you be the judge. Is that right? So you're on the mend? Uh, things are on the up and up. Uh, you 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 do. You sound exactly like uh, an, an angel. You... I get that a lot now. Yeah, I, get... they, I did yesterday, are... but now I do. They are. They are other uh, eth- eth- ethereal beings, though, aren't they? I guess angels. Yeah,
1: not doctors. Uh,
0: well, my doctor was an angel. <laughs> so yeah. To be a holographic projection uh, doctor, do you yourself have to be a holographic projection? <laughs> Um, I, I mean, all the good ones are, I think that there are some holographic projection doctors, which are not also ethereal, but I, they get bad reviews on Yelp two 2.0. Yeah. It seems like you want to know your patient. That's why I yeah. stopped operating on turtles. What, what, what was that? Now, now I think maybe, oh. uh, my, I maybe got an ear virus or something, because I could not catch what you just said very yeah. well. Oh, I, I I said that's that's the same reason that I stopped operating on turtles. I just didn't understand their struggle. You can't hear a damn thing. No you? idea. No, no, no idea what you just said. Okay, what's going so on? Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, the the doctor put the virus into my ears. He's a real <laughs> bastard. He's getting a bad review on Yelp 3.0. I guarantee you that. Yeah, make sure. Uh can well, can you hear the words that I'm saying now? Yeah, now I can. Uh for a second. It just sounded like a bunch of garbled nonsense. Oh, that that's what I said. Oh, well, in that case, I'm hearing you just fine. Okay, good. (laughs) Um well anyway, I guess. Uh Today's ep, we're going back to the Hitchhiker's Guide-verse. Yep, back in old Douglas Adams territory. Yeah. Um, Restaurant at the End of the Universe is the sequel, the second in the five-part trilogy. Five-part trilogy? Did he make that joke or did you just make it up? No, I I think that's his. I certainly didn't make it up. Or a good editor. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, that totally fits in with his, his goofiness, for sure. That's uh, just another one of his little set pieces to put in little bits yeah, to make himself laugh. Yeah, that was the nice thing coming back to this one. I forget, it's been a few episodes back before we read the last one. And this one just picks up almost immediately as soon as the other one ended I, I think that in that first one, they even talk about the location, the restaurant at the end of the universe, and, uh, and here it is in this one. Yeah, I don't remember uh, much of that, that previous podcast, except, uh, but, but I do, I mean, obviously remember the book well enough to know, like, yeah, this is totally a Douglas Adams book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I do remember the, how, generally the gist, uh, the crew had stolen this heart of gold, um, you know, really advanced spaceship, and they were all on missions to discover the the meaning to life, the universe, and everything. Mm-hmm. Zaphod Ebelbrox is added again. The two headed, uh, I guess, now former president of the galaxy. Yeah, I, did that happen at the end in the last book? I don't remember because I think it just yeah was the was the case at the start of this book that he's no longer the president of the galaxy. To be honest, I didn't go back and look at that book or listen to that podcast either. So anybody's guess. So we're, we're terrible researchers. Yeah, that's about right. Well, I just hope that our listeners are reading, taking our words of advice and not listening to the podcast and just reading the books. That's, hopefully, we can only hope. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Judge for yourself, you lazy bums. <laughs> I yeah, mean this I, this book is so short that it probably in the amount of time it would take you to listen to like the last podcast and however long this one's going to be you probably could just read this book. That's certainly true. I read it in one after space afternoon. Nice, which as we all know is the exact same amount of time as an earth afternoon. Exactly. That's a weird coincidence, though. Mm -hmm. One of the few one-to-one correspondences in space-time. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly how the last one ended. I know that we just learned that the entire planet Earth was a supercomputer that was built in order to answer the question to what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything and we learned that the answer was 42. And as far as I remember, that's about the end of the first book. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and that, well, it was probably towards the end that we, we learned that mice uh, were the rulers of Earth, yeah. or the, at least the smartest beings on Earth. They're the ones who, oh, no, they commissioned the planet Earth or the supercomputer Earth to be built to come up with that question. Mm-hmm. Um, as I remember. And no mice in this book at all. <laughs> Not, uh, no. I don't remember a single one. But we do have a similar cast of characters. Uh, Arthur Dent, the the Earth, Earth Man, uh, mm-hmm. one of the last two remaining uh, human beings from Earth. And Trillian, I cannot remember if she had a last name or not. Don't know. Um, we got old Zaphod Beeblebrox, again, the two-headed former president of the galaxy. Um, Marvin, Marvin the Paranoid Androids there. Uh, and then old Ford Prefect. Ford Prefect. All on the Heart of Gold ship. Yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> now I am already forgetting exactly wh- where they're setting off to at the start of... Uh, of the book, but I know they're being trailed by one of those damn vogons. Vogons, yeah. I don't remember where they're going either. I know that Arthur wants some tea and uh, shuts down the computer on board the ship. That's right, because uh, yeah, there's apparently a uh... <laughs> again. Like that's the that's the funny thing about this book is that there really are. It's just like they these characters get put into situations where you know, they're sort of right immediate like their doom is imminent mm-hmm. and some like for some stupid <laughs> some stupid reason and then it all is resolved and they get saved and throughout that their whole turmoil it's just uh an opportunity for old Douglas Adams to tell a bunch of jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I was just paying a lot more attention this one to how how much he writes like that where you'll even introduce somewhat elaborate characters or describe characters only to make a joke and we never see them again. For example, on planet uh, Frogstar World B, there's these birds that are flying around. Douglas Adams describes it for a couple paragraphs here. Large, scraggy bird, blah, blah, blah. Wingspan must have been something like six feet and its head and neck seemed curiously large for a bird, et cetera, et cetera. It turned its heavy eyes on Zaphod and clicked its beak in a desultory fashion. Go away, said Zaphod. Okay, muttered the bird and flapped off into the dust again. The end. Uh, just elaborate yep, that's, that's that character's entire character arc right yeah, there for you. Pretty much. I think we learn later, though, because Frogstar World B is such a... A terrible planet that uh, the, the inhabitants decided oh this it's not worth setting foot on the planet anymore so they learned how to fly just to not touch the planet anymore yeah which is which is kind of the yeah the, the greater joke uh yeah. involved there so yeah i mean it's like he'll introduce a character tell a joke with them and then the only times that they come back is just to tell another more involved joke yeah. essentially Yeah, Um, you know, I was just thinking a lot, too, about the last several books that we've read, I think, uh, between The Three-Body Problem and Dune Messiah and whatever else we've read, Childhood's End. This one, just delightful and funny in ways that, you know, it doesn't take itself very seriously, in a sense. I I think it, it does have serious things to say, but... Yeah, it's just it's just a much more sort of playful version of that same thing because there are definitely questions of human uh, futility, yeah. um, the the greater meaning of anything, uh, if there is one. Um, yeah, the sort of fates of all of these peoples throughout the the universe that I mean all again end with the end of the the universe, which we see in this book. Yeah yeah uh, yeah I mean the restaurant at the end of the universe is very literal in in the sense that it's in a sort of temporal bubble, and all of the patrons get to watch the universe and yeah so yeah I mean it really gives everybody perspective yeah that the whole <laughs> um the whole scenes that are set in the restaurant I don't know that it's the majority of the book, but there's a good deal of it that's set there, and it seemed like one of these settings it's really ripe for a whole almost any world that Douglas Adams creates seems like it could just be its own spin-off book and an entire universe happens within that setting. And so the restaurant at the end of the universe, there are a few characters that we meet that are described that are interesting. And but you feel like you could write a whole nother five books that's just set there. And and in fact, you know, I was looking for uh there's surprisingly less Fan art than I would have hoped for that I could find just looking around, like of of this restaurant, you know, uh, whatever Millaways, Millaways. Yeah, that's what it's called. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of the interesting thing about Douglas Adams, the author, as opposed to the authors that we've just previously read, like Frank Herbert, for instance, the author of Dune. Mm-hmm wanted to create and investigate those worlds in a really deep totally serious manner and douglas adams i think probably has more fun just coming up with them coming up with a premise pointing out why their particular race or world is absurd and then moving on to the next sort of like it'd be funny i think to see douglas adams try and write uh or, or write in different characters from some of the other books we've read like the Fremen are in yeah. this restaurant or something like what are they all about Do they just yeah. order a bunch of water and pour it another still suits or <laughs> yeah I don't yeah. know I mean that's kind of the funny thing about where the funny difference between Douglas Adams and like I said the authors that we've just been reading right yeah if he had written Dune that's exactly what it would be we would we would meet the Fremen for a few minutes and then uh, I don't know but they, they would live, like, on the perimeter of a large soda pop cup or something. I don't, I don't know, you know? Yeah, that would be another comparison. This would be the yeah. only time where we would actually learn about how makers produce the spice, if it's just poop or what the hell. It would be He'd elaborate. be the, He's the only guy that would investigate that in the way that Frank Herbert's like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know the yeah, answers poop, we've been poop jokes for. are totally. In, yeah, poop jokes are totally in the purview of Douglas Adams in uh-huh. a way that Frank Herbert will not will not give them the the time of day. Yeah, the page space. Yeah, and even well, there's a few of these specific characters or worlds I'd love to talk about, but even then further, just his writing style. There's times where the text itself is making jokes. There's one where it says. Zaphod's eyes sparkled with something that may or may not have been avarice as he passed over them. In fact, it's best to be clear on this point. Avarice is definitely what it was. Um, <laughs> and, and then later on, there's a point where there's like a, a modifier back to a sentence, but it's one where it just says like his. And so it, it's not quite clear which character. So he just parentheses, says the character, moves along, you know, Things like mm. that that I, I think uh, Frank Herbert would not dare do, um, just fair game. Or oh, or when we are later on in the book on very early prehistoric Earth and the species there only talks in grunts. One of the quotes from one of those creatures has a parenthetical grunt, <laughs> you know, in parentheses, and then moving on. So good. Yeah, exactly. Those, those are the sorts of things that, yeah, point to the text. I think I probably rambled on for far too long in previous podcasts about postmodernism and all that no sh- way. shit. I mean, go, go, going back and re-listening to some of the podcasts is, is painful for me. I'm like, man, I was really into that for a short period of time. And I apologize to you, universe, because mm-hmm. it was not interesting. And I'm an idiot. So, but just bear with me for one second. Uh I, yeah, I think that uh Douglas Adams is willing to do that to to pull the reader outside of the universe of the book and into their own world in a way that Frank Herbert who's writing <coughs> excuse me the virus is back. <coughs> now it's gone. Uh in a way that Frank Herbert wants you to be really invested in that world, wants you to like be transported to that world and so any of those sorts of things Breaks the illusion of, you know, you caring about the fate of the fremen and Paul and and, and everyone else in that world, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not going to talk about that anymore on the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Bummer, I, I do think because not to say that Frank Herbert's world isn't really complex and detailed because it is, but as you say, it's just a very, it's it's one that wants you to be completely absorbed in it and never to kind of step out of it so um just Mm -hmm. totally yeah because there's also um like allegorical themes in frank in like dune like there's talk about uh resources and and nature and how we should be caring for the environment and and all of that so it's, it's about also the world that he himself lived in as the author um but yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide is much more upfront about it. It's like your life, y- reader, is absurd. Yeah, uh, and you see, so you're not special, and there's you know countless civilizations throughout the galaxy that also think they're special, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not, and you're not, and get over it and have fun and make a joke about it. Yeah, the the one thing that I do remember saying on the last uh, Hitchhiker's podcast was from that first book, and there was something about. Every creature, robot, whatever in the universe, being neurotic essentially, and and that being what everything has in common, and and I think that that idea is completely carried through in here, and and all these ideas about like the the neuroses is actually how the universe works, and not the other way around. Yeah, I mean, we nailed it. We nailed it. Uh, the, moving yeah, on. Podcast over. <laughs> but yeah. Exactly. We always have to have like a, a place where we think, like, yeah, we could just be done here. Yeah. Okay. So this is continuing a the theme of previous podcasts. That's D- it, dear listener. <laughs> we just reached the most important point in the podcast. You can yeah, turn exactly. it off and be perfectly happy. Anything beyond this point is just going to be fucking nonsense. <laughs> oh. And that's battling on. <clears throat> Go have a productive life. But uh, we'll be here for another hour. Love, Brent and John. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to audiobook this one line, which I think is about what we were just talking about um, as well. Um, but, but I think it's just one of my favorite jokes in the book. Audiobook, the galaxy is an indispensable companion to all those who are keen to make sense of life in an infinitely complex and confusing universe. For though it cannot hope to be useful or informative on all matters, it does at least make the reassuring claim that where it is inaccurate, it is at least definitely inaccurate. In cases of major discrepancy, it's always reality that's got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, for one, points at the larger themes of the book, um, you know, life, whether it's meaningful or not. Uh, and then talking about, again, this book that exists inside of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy universe. Uh, and then, I yeah, I just love that it's, it talks about how this book is so authoritative that reality is just confused mm-hmm. that the novel, you know, the, the book that they, this travel log or whatever is more correct than reality itself. I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. There's one of my favorite parts in it is a very similar quote when they first get to the restaurant at the end of the universe and just describing the setting when they're looking around, i do audio book this. The chandeliers were, in fact, a little on the flashy side, and the low vaulted ceiling from which they hung would not, in an ideal universe, have been painted in that particular shade of deep turquoise. And even if it had been, it would have been highlighted by concealed mood lighting. This is not, however, an ideal universe, as was further evidenced by the eye crossing patterns of the inlaid marble floor, on, on, on. So, just to say uh, <laughs> that the way that reality is is that way because the universe isn't an ideal universe. Um, And and if so, you would literally have to change reality. And I think that that idea comes up a few times. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. That seems to be a theme. Well, yeah. And and it always comes to a point where it's like complaining about the imperfectness of the universe is probably the most futile action Uh, the characters who seem to get ahead or that you kind of root for are the ones who are just like, yeah, things are all messed up. And that, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I mean, one of the, I guess, main plot lines in the book is uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox going to meet the, um, what do they call it? Like the, not the creator of the the galaxy, but like the keeper of it. Um, It's the guy who rules. Yeah. The ruler of the universe, essentially. Um, and he, I don't know if I have any, like, great quotes from that section, but basically they go to this house of this hermit who is apparently the ruler of the universe and just, like, talks about how he stares at his desk just to just to see what it'll do. So it's just, like, this infinitely curious guy who also uh, doesn't believe anything that he can't see which i think is i don't remember which like famous philosopher in your earth in history that was it originally said that but i think that's you know i i think therefore i am or i perceive therefore i am is kind of a, a famous tagline there and that's kind of the ruler of the universe he just investigates whatever he can see and touch and handle and anything outside of his door he literally cannot even conceive of and it does, doesn't see a point conceiving of it mm-hmm. Um, but then like Zaphod uh, is like, okay, I trust this guy <laughs> J- just cause he's not putting on airs. He's just examining the things that are, and that's fine. Like he's totally cool with that guy ruling the universe. Yeah. He's an interesting character because on the one hand, he does say that stuff like essentially that, yeah, my universe extends as far as what I can see and hear. It is a very perceptual, um, experiential like full of probabilities things could or could not exist any number of realities or universes maybe could exist so on on the one hand i think the first time through reading him i was i really loved this character uh when i thought about it a little bit more though i did also think about um pointland and and the ruler of of pointland who just uh you know couldn't couldn't see beyond himself but i think maybe right. differently just obstinately did not or, or refuse to even like it so when he heard what the the cube or the square talking to him he, he was just like no you no you, you don't even i'm not even hearing this yeah exactly that nice callback by the way Ooh, it's it's a, all the books you've read are part of this universe now yeah. Um, But yeah, I think the difference between those two characters is that, for one, um, his world in Pointland, like is totally ruined, like everything you understand uh, is meaningless, if there is this other dimension, whereas the ruler of the universe in this book, I think if you know, the universe came to him and showed itself to be a certain way, he would believe it mm-hmm. uh, in in a way that the yeah the guy in Pointland would not. So I think it's not like the guy, uh, the ruler of the universe, is actively, like, aggressive against anything that changes his opinion. He's actually kind of the opposite of that, like, supremely interested in everything, yeah. but, but wants to start with, like, you know, what's within arm's reach mm-hmm. of him, of himself, I guess. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was... I I, I do like that, and I really did like that character. I think that, as you are saying, it's kind of the difference between inquiry and just, I don't know, narrow-mindedness. Yeah, and I guess this comes before we actually meet that character, the ruler of the universe. Uh, But this is one of my favorite parts, too. This is kind of, like, exemplifying why I like Zaphod as a character as well. Uh, Zaphod's basically just really hungry, and, and i don't remember the exact uh circumstances of this conversation <clears throat> but he talks about what he wants the ruler of the universe to be uh and he says um basically he says he wants to meet a cook he hopes that the ruler of the universe can cook a good meal and like that is that would would be what makes him uh a good ruler it's basically just because Zaphod's hungry but I still feel like that he really means that. Like if he could make him a meal, if he could provide him that at that particular time, you know, that's a great ruler. Yeah, in, in a similar way, actually, that those descriptions of the three big questions that all civilizations move through, which is like, I'm going to have to look for that. It's like call back to the last book. Right. Yeah, it was definitely in this one as well. I don't so, remember what it. Yeah. yeah, where what it was. It was like, how? how what are we going to eat? Uh, how are we going to get it? And like, is there a good restaurant or something? I remember. If, if you guys want to know, Galaxy. Fucking read the book. <laughs> Both of them. Like it up, your damn selves. We're not. You are just doing all the labor for you. No. Get on your two. Get on your two legs, and walk to a bookstore. Buy the book. Read it. That's it. Well, so what you were saying a second ago as well, there's another section that I really love where, just maybe in setting up, oh, just one of these other worlds and species that we don't ever talk about again. Douglas Adams writes that the universe is an unsettlingly big place. Um, a fact for the sake of a quiet life most people tend to ignore, many would happily move to somewhere rather smaller of their own devising, and that's what many beings in fact do. I think that – I forget what you said a second ago, but maybe – It doesn't happens. matter what's done. Well, yeah, <laughs> we know that to be true. Uh, but uh, I guess with that ruler of the universe where to some extent he has maybe retreated to a smaller world – um, one in which he can construct or perceive and and as such understand I, th- I think again just to clarify the difference between him and the ruler of Pointland I think the Pointland return to this smaller perceptual plane is essentially to, to not have to deal with the bigger universe at all in a way that is like hostile to it, towards it, or towards him whereas I think that the ruler of the universe in this book just does it out of a sense of like tactile. What can I physically experience around me? <laughs> yeah. So. Whoa! You got the you got the space virus. You got the seven legged paper man virus. I just I just felt it passing past my nostrils. Your your projection. Yeah, we have very specific viruses in the future. Whatever whatever exact type of being you are. They have those viruses. They're, so they're designer, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, um, I'd, I'd like I'd like a virus that uh, has uh, seven legs. That uh, let's see, affects paper mostly, and of uh, course, and hosts of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. And they just pull out a big like book of other options. Like we can make that more specific for you. Yeah. Also, people that are from Earth and over 900 years old. Yeah, 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 true. I, I'll take that. I'll take a side of that. Yeah, they just give you the most extensive questionnaire of all time, and you everything you check yes to, they make a virus for that person. Yeah, it, it's not to diagnose; it's actually to prescribe viruses. <laughs> yeah, medicine has come a long way, so so far, in fact, that it totally inverted itself. Yeah, that's right. That's that thing you have to look forward to universe hmm mm-hmm. and now it's time for your listener challenge <laughs> uh hi galaxy or universe or hi two legged beings of all sorts uh I'm the host of <laughs> who are you talking to right <laughs> now everyone okay. i i just i just like the formality of <laughs> of the uh the segments so I forgot. I'm talking that. to Dyson specifically. Okay. Actually. Right. He can hear you with over uh, the PA. Yep. Nope. <laughs> talking to just anybody in this ship. Everybody else can get out of here. Because nobody's sending us mail or emails, voicemail, anything with listener challenge responses. So I'm just going to have to stick with people inside of the same ship as me, kind mm-hmm. of like that, uh, <laughs> the ruler of the, of the universe stuck inside his shack and can only believe in stuff like that. Uh, so, anyways, everyone who wants to listen and potentially combat my listener challenge and win a prize, um, sponsored by Corellan Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. And we're back. So, uh, this week on Listener Challenge, um, on Frogstar World B, uh, Zaphod eventually escapes. Well, it doesn't really escape. He was going to be put in something called the Total Perspective Vortex, which gives beings uh, a full understanding of the universe, and then they all inevitably perish from the scope of it all. Um, but he's trying to leave this planet. Gets on <laughs> gets on board a ship that is destined to take off from the planet. Uh, and it's been how many years late, universe? The ship has been waiting on that planet, waiting to take off mm. for how many years ago should it have taken off? The answer, 900 years. Coincidence that it's the same amount of time that it's been since you listened to this podcast? Maybe not. Yeah, We'll see. But the answer is 900 years. Please phone in, mail, fax, all that still exists. Snail mail. Snail mail, any of it. Send a an owl. Owl mail. Uh owl yep. mail like a Harry Potter universe reference uh, to uh, 555 Center of the Galaxy Lane. That's where, our, that's where our pod is currently parked. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's a really big parking lot all by itself. Um, the Galactic Center is all a giant parking lot at this point. Uh, anyways, 900 years. Take it or leave it. Prize pack from and Sweet Teas on the line, uh, and that's it. That was your listener challenge. Woo-hoo. Thanks for that listener challenge. Uh, yeah, it got kind of off the rails fourteen times. I had that answer written down in my notes because I I thought there was some coincidence. Nine hundred years, also, it's pretty interesting. Or maybe not. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Yeah, we're not going to give out any spoilers though. Okay, so one of the other things early on in this book then is just that because there's so many characters that we meet and that don't matter to the narrative really, it's so hard to take notes on a book like this because I have no idea which characters are going to be important later on in the book. And so I started taking notes on some of these and I would say I took less than I usually do because it's like, well... I like this one now, but do they matter at all? For instance, um, there's that disaster area, the band that produces the loudest noise in the entire universe. They were one that we meet a character who's the lead guitarist, maybe, for that band. He's at the restaurant. He's semi-dead. He's partly dead for a year. And when we met him, he was just one that... I thought was another throwaway character turns out this disaster area band shows up later has a somewhat important part in the narrative. So anyway, just to say so many characters, I would love to see just a list of how many actually appear throughout these books, because there's again, any number of them that could just, they could have their own sitcom. They could spin off a movie franchise. They could do anything, but never again. Yep. Uh, that character in particular, and this is how I feel like Douglas Adams writes all of his characters. It's just like he has one joke in mind and needs a particular character to play, to, you know, to hang that joke on essentially. And then sometimes if it makes sense, he'll bring him back for some other reason. Yeah. But that one it's like, yeah, he's, it's an old friend of Ford prefect I think. Uh, and yeah. he's spending a year dead for tax reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and he has like a bodyguard there with him, but uh, but, yeah, it's just like that's the the joke. And and then you're just like, okay, well, that's the end of that character. And, yeah, he does end up coming back. But, right, yeah, yeah it's, it's just more funny how all the characters yeah, have uh-huh. bits to them, essentially. But that's um, – so, I mean – and I do agree. I mean, I like that we read this book now after a few kind of deadly serious books. Um, that it was just, you know, kind of fun the whole time. But I don't know. It got a little – not like taxing like I wasn't ever bored with it uh, I enjoyed all the jokes obviously but I kind of got I, I, I started to understand how Douglas Adams like writes the stories like he puts characters in turmoil and then they always get out of it yeah um, and so it's just like I, I'm not concerned that they're gonna crash land into a Sun now because I yeah. know that they're gonna get away somehow and there's just gonna be a bunch of jokes along the way which are funny jokes and it's really you know, enjoyable to read, but there's never any stakes. Like there's nothing yeah. that I really cared about um throughout the whole book, I guess. Yeah. Except for we uh-huh. did lose um Marvin the Paranoid Android. For a number of years. Well oh and yeah. then we did at the end, didn't we? We don't really know where he is. Yeah. Okay. Well I think I think he piloted the 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 uh ship into the sun because they found right. a A teleporter. So the ship was uh, destined to crash into this, into the sun uh, to create basically a a pyrotechnic show for the loudest band in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And then they find a teleporter. They had to hook it all back up. And then Marvin said, oh, yeah, I'll pilot the ship. And then they all left on this teleporter. And so I think Marvin actually crashed into the sun and is gone. I forgot about that. I was thinking of when he was on Frogstar World B with Zaphod, And Zaphod teleported through time, transported through time for like several millions or maybe billions of years. While Marvin waited it out on that planet and, and said something like, yeah, the first million years were awful. And then the second million were just as awful. And the third million were really the worst. Uh, So he's just been on Frogstar World B for millions of years until it becomes the restaurant. Yep. That was, yeah, I like that bit as well. Uh, Because, yeah, that's Marvin's character just to be a bummer the whole time. Uh, And so, I don't know, that's the interesting thing. It's like it's almost more of a punishment for him to have been on this planet for millions of years than it is for him to crash into a sun like ending it was is kind of the best possible um mm-hmm. uh, i don't know reality for for you know end for for marvin as opposed to being tortured with more life that he obviously doesn't is not a big fan of yeah when we bump into him again he's parking cars or parking spaceships for patrons at the restaurant there which sounds like the worst job after he's waited for millions of years well i i yeah, think that uh, yeah Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I um, got the uh, the 411 from our, our favorite teammate, Dyson. Oh, yeah? That, um, that actually he got word from his other teammates that uh, apparently a famous Earth actor, Alan Rickman, mm-hmm. passed away, uh, you know, one, like the week that we would be podcasting back to 900 years in the future from now. Um, and so I just wanted to make a note of that Marvin the Paranoid Android in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie was voiced by Alan Rickman. A little bit of trivia for you. So when I read that Marvin the Android crashed into the sun, I uh, it, it hurt a little worse, knowing that it corresponded to a uh, beloved actor that Dyson apparently was a big fan of. Oh, yeah. Snape? I don't know what that means. It just came to me. Okay, owl mail, and now it's Dyson's Snape corner. We should probably see what Dyson's up to later here, also. Just uh, we we'll... Yeah, what does he? What does he do during most of the day? Well, he's in the time cage. Oh yeah, that's right. Day. Eating worms. <laughs> Eating regular worms that have been fed Caron's sweet tea uh yeah i don't know why i even asked that question because i feed him some of the times That's right. you're like you're i would describe you as more of his trainer like teaching him those like to jump through a hoop and stuff yeah we, we do that too yeah, yeah. but he, he likes jumps through that a time, hoop. time hoop. yeah of course mm. his favorite part of the day um, I mean, I mean, it'd be nice to actually talk to him, him being a time traveler as well, considering how much time travel goes on in this book. Yeah, it seems like he would have Which just, expertise. Exactly. It it just became the uh, the escape method du jour for Douglas Adams in this book. Yeah. It's like, how are they going to get out of this one? Well, let's send them back through time. Yeah. How'd they get back through time? Oh, his dad's a ghost. They could just send people back through time. That's right. What? I was I was gonna counter that and say that there was a séance, but no, the, the ghosts just sent them through time, which is a power that ghosts that all ghosts have. Okay, question about that. So, what's the difference between a ghost and an angel with regards to time travel? Um, angels can't time travel. Uh... But they are really good doctors, as we've we've discussed. And, I mean, this doesn't really respond to your questions, but ghosts are terrible doctors. Mm -hmm. Because they're already dead. They're like, we don't need medicine. It's like, what's this for? If I want want a sickness, I'll go to, (laughs) you know, a store and get a custom-made one. Exactly. Um, Okay. And so ghosts can travel through time and space. Angels, though... I guess they've already gone to heaven, and so where else do they really want to go anyway? Right. Uh, well, apparently they go to heaven to get their, you know, their doctorates. Right. <laughs> and by doctorates, I mean to go to medical school. That's mm-hmm. a different thing. Well, that's that's what heaven <laughs> is. It's a big medical get school. In the sky. So yeah, that's the only difference. Okay. Well, like with regards to mind. time travel, that's the only difference. That angels go to heaven to, to get <laughs> to, to go to medical school. And and ghosts can time travel. Uh, so is that a good enough answer to your question? That makes sense to me. Good, because no that's the truth. Questions. I'm sticking to it. Nice. Well, okay. One of the things, one of the other things that I do appreciate about how Douglas Adams writes is that essentially nothing in the Hitchhiker's universe is taken for granted. To exist. So actually, there's something early on where I think maybe it's, well, okay, actually, in, in childhood's end, we have Carellan and the Overlords, who at the end of the book are like, well, yeah, we can't evolve, but at least we get to keep our souls. And that's presumed to know what he means by that. In this book, however, when Zaphod has that stance with his great grandfather, Zaphod. It says that Zaphod hated his voice. It always seemed to him to screech like fingernails across the blackboard of what he liked to think of as his soul. And so, even to say something that like about Zaphod's soul, you you can't take that for granted. Like you have to say like he he thought of this thing as his soul. And I think that that's true for almost anything in this entire universe. It may or may not exist just based on who it's in relation to or, or or anything like that ruler of the universe, like anything may or may not exist. I think that that's almost true for just existence or reality in the entire Hitchhiker's universe. I could definitely get behind that. Uh, truth be told, I, uh, um, I think my ear virus came back a little bit when you were going through all that. So I didn't catch I did not catch the majority of it. Mm-hmm. But but I'll say yes for sure exactly. Good. <laughs> but but I think but I think going back to I know we talked about this a lot on the last podcast about how there seemed to be a lot of talk of bureaucracy and how inefficient it was. But I see that as a lot of the kind of antagonists in this book, they tend to have this one directive and then they you know somehow Douglas Adams turns it on its head and shows like not only do they not achieve it, but they it also they learn along the way like this is stupid, I shouldn't have even thought about this in the first place, mm-hmm. like uh like right away, the Vogon uh who wants to complete his mission of destroying Earth, which he's already done, but there's these two remaining uh Earth inhabitants left that are, you know, now part of our gang of very merry misfits that we were um, <clears throat> tracking on the heart of gold. And he just wants to be killed, essentially, he does not complete his goal. Uh, and that's, that's kind of it for him. But these people that do have very specific ideas of what they want in the universe, what they want the universe to provide for them, they never get it. Yeah, even a well, we can talk about early Earth later, but even at some point when Zaphod, I don't know who he's talking to. Maybe it's Zwarno Whoop uh, later on. Zarni Whoop? Is that his name? Zarny, Zarni Whoop, yeah. I think. Huh? It, it could be what he's talking to him. I don't actually remember. But saying that anyone who could get themselves elected president, like anyone with the capacity and, and inclination to – pursue getting elected president probably shouldn't be president and anyone who actually should be the president isn't ever going to get elected and i think it's a similar sentiment so like anyone who has this level of whatever deviousness bureaucracy in order to get themselves elected that's not who we want even in a democracy even if they can do that they're probably not the ideal president the ideal president yep. is the guy in the shack on that planet who's talking to his table to see what happens. Yep, exactly. And I, and I don't remember exactly how how we pick up Zarny Whoop. That's like an, another negative of this book is like the people who end up being a really important character on some level, it, it takes so long t- for you to parse whether or not it's worth paying attention to their story arc that you yeah. just kind of like, oh, Zarni Whoop is still here, and he apparently is playing a bigger role than I imagined. So now I got to either reread or just take it for granted whatever situation he's in is, you know, important. But actually, Whoop is with Zaphod when they go to the ruler of the universe's shack, and he's the one that the ruler of the universe kind of shows, kind of ex- explodes the, um, his conception or idea of what the universe is all about. Because uh, I, I have this quoted. Um, so This is an audiobook. Um, Zarni Whoop is talking to the ruler of the galaxy. I only decide about my universe," continued the man quietly. "My universe is in my eyes and in my ears. Anything else is hearsay." And then Zarni Whoop basically freaks the hell out mm-hmm. and says, "Like, no, you can't believe this. Uh, there has to be some sort of greater reasoning behind your, you know, your whole thing." And then Zarni Whoop gets locked outside of uh, the guy Shaq and Abandoned on the Planet by Zaphod and Trillian. Yeah, so, Zaphod and Trillian, where yeah, are like, yeah. let's just get the hell out of here. This this guy's kind of <laughs> under control. Which, yeah, was awesome in some ways. Because, cause, yeah, it's like this guy is unnecessarily trying to complicate something, which is sort of, I mean, on one hand, endlessly complicated, but... Um, in order to exist in it, you kind of have to simplify it. And he wants there to be a meaning and a reason for everything. And since there's not, yeah, he literally gets left banging on a shack door in the rain on a planet where nobody else exists. So poor Zarni whoop. Yeah. he's not going to be able to continue the Zarni fam- familial name, which is unfortunate. Like, yeah, it really is. It's a good one. There's a couple uh, just other invented words or names that are really good like Frogstar world b um i expected to be fair a lot more frogs involved in the narrative um we exactly. frogs I on this podcast i agree with you more <laughs> yeah <laughs> but regardless it's a well-named planet definitely yeah it was it was a bummer that it was i mean not not only not inhabited by frogs but it's a terrible, desolate place that apparently only f- weird, fleshy beast birds exist. Yeah, I don't like them at all. Yeah, they're terrible. If they had been frog men, though, or frog women, maybe they'll evolve into frog men or women. You can only hope. Well, no, they'll evolve into the restaurant at the end of the universe. That's that's uh, what the, yeah. the world uh, evolves into eventually. Yeah, that's one of, and that's actually kind of an interesting, uh, that was maybe one of the few times where Douglas Adams kind of really surprised me in a way that I was like, I don't know, like I was taken aback a little bit. Usually I'm like, okay, I see somehow they're going to get out of this, and it's like, okay, fine, that's funny, but it doesn't have a greater impact on me, but the one time which which was really one of the most kind of interestingly like scientific, if we want to talk about how this is sci-fi uh, was that they moved somehow they got into, or no, you told the ship to take yeah. them to the closest restaurant and they took them to the closest restaurant in space. Cause it was on that same planet, but they time traveled to literally the end of time. Uh, yeah. So they could go to the restaurant at the end of the galaxy. So I thought that was pretty clever mm-hmm. um, from old, promote dougie yeah yeah i mean i i will say reading this book too just the way that it started and ended also definitely felt like there you know there's something before and you know there's gonna be something after it i mean it it definitely just picked up and then it just ended um so as far as a standalone book if you were just going to come to this book cold i don't think it would make any sense. because there's you're not introduced to a single character it doesn't really it kind of resolves at the end but really like the way a chapter would be resolved and not maybe how a book ought to be resolved so I, i i will say that for it like as a standalone book out of nowhere maybe it doesn't make any sense Right. Yeah. I think you have the same copy of the book as I do. Uh, Let's see. But my book has all five, yeah, all five of the um, trilogy uh, yeah. in one volume. And so maybe that's also why I got kind of frustrated with the constant, like, here's the introduction of a way that these characters are going to die and then they get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know that there's at least three more books uh, because I have all the books with me. There's. Is- are the space police coming after us? Yes, yeah, space pigs. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm gonna Ducking power and cover down, power down for a second. Alright, I'm gonna disperse my matters wide as I can. Whoa. Where'd he go? <laughs> Here I am. Oh, okay. Had me. As my face... <laughs> Good. Actually I hid my my face and most of my important bits inside of Dyson's time cage. She's doing well. Oh, good, good, good. Say hi to him. Yeah, I did. Feed him. He had some a nice. Worms. Yeah, get a nice worm lunch. <laughs> um, what the what the fuck was I talking about? Uh... Oh yeah, like being being frustrated with the book in that like I know there's going to be three more. Yeah. So you know, as many like, sort of funny uh, situations that major characters could die. Uh, I'm still not going to, like, I know they're not going to because someone has to yeah. be the main character in these. for the rest of these three, and it doesn't seem like uh, character development is maybe not even one of Douglas Adams' strengths, but one of his interests, so he's not going to spend enough time, like, to introduce a new main character. So I know that Zaphod's probably going to make it all the way through, Trillion's probably going to make it all the way through, Ford Prefect is probably going to make it all the way through, Arthur Dent probably will. Yep. Again, RIP Marvin, the Android. Though you know, with time travel, he might come back. Who knows? Yeah, I would not be surprised to see him again. I I do agree. I feel the same way. You know, if I if you uh, like marathon through episodes of a show, and it's like, well, I know there's nine seasons, so um, it, it does seem like these main characters are in a pinch right now. But I, they've got five more seasons, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay, but. Yep, absolutely. Which is where, like, that was one of the crazy things, (laughs) speaking about Dune again, uh, uh, that Paul Mwadib died at the end of the second Dune book. And there's a whole bunch more. Yeah. So, so, I mean, he obviously is somebody who's a very different writer. Uh, really, it does care about developing characters and worlds. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's probably going to be a lot of legwork in whoever the the protagonists of the following book are going to be. That's a good point. For, was, the, for the universe. I was thinking about that book a lot as I was reading this one also. And, of course, when we first read Dune, we talked a lot about The Lord of the Rings as a similar series, which I think it probably is. However, you're absolutely right. There's six books that Frank Herbert wrote and main character in book one is dead by the end of book two. It, it almost would be more interesting, though, to read Hitchhiker's Guide five books and Dune six books side by side because they are so different just in terms of how characters are developed, how worlds are built, um, even how narrative happens throughout or doesn't happen. Both very complex, but very, very different. Yeah, definitely, and I think one of the um, one of the interesting authors that we've already read that is kind of exactly halfway in the middle, I feel, is Kurt Vonnegut, yep, because he has yeah. more investigation of characters. Um, he hasn't written any major like uh, series, I guess, so it's a little bit different to, to read him that way. But he's kind of halfway in between, where he like has a lot of jokes, tons of humor, but. Uh, investigates these great sort of like larger concerns with a little bit more depth, a little bit more subtlety uh, instead of just presenting apparatuses to hang jokes on. Mm -hmm. Um, But also doesn't like get bogged down with like, who are the Benny Jesseret and what's the Gamjabar and like, wouldn't be the type of person to create like so many other worlds into such depth that I think Frank Herbert was interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. Um I, I was laughing. I mean at the I would say for what ending this book does have, I definitely was reminded of Saturn of Titan at the end of Restaurant at The End of the Universe. Um, just so I guess just to jump to some of that, we end up on Earth, the planet Earth, well, the supercomputer Earth that was designed by those mice species, whatever they actually are. So Ford Prefect and Arthur Dent land on this planet with... Oh, well, and I should say the way they get there. They get there on Arc B, which is a fleet traveling from some planet. And they this is, this is the middlemen, essentially. The middle managers of an entire world who have been put in hibernation on a ship. They've been told that the... Uh, let's say like the the working class ship and the what the like l- leadership ship yeah. are they're right be- we're right behind you guys and we'll be right there uh, they aren't this planet just evacuated their middlemen and sent them to a, a useless far away a aban- or just out of the way planet turns out to be earth they crash there. Ford and Arthur are on it, and so they end up on on very prehistoric Earth, which with a bunch of middlemen, which is kind of a great scene. Uh, my favorite part yeah. of that whole thing, well, two, one, the when you get to Earth, and I, I was pretty sure that it, we were on Earth, and so it's the first place in the entire universe that the babble fish that's in Arthur's head doesn't work it won't translate because the people there the natives there haven't developed language yet they just grunt and they grunt in parenthetical statements and everything which is terrific so there's that but then also these middle managers have developed currency very early on which is just leaves just (laughs) however many leaves you can stuff your tracksuit with that's how much things cost. Yeah, which was truly, cost. truly was one of the best jokes in, in the whole book. So good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then they all, yeah, one of my other, and this this is the best part about it, because they talk. They set this whole thing up where, and they were the Golga Frenchians. So apparently, okay. yeah, I, I don't know if the planet was called the Golga French or whatever, but anyways, these people are called the Golga Frenchians. Uh, they're from Golga France. Golga France. Yeah. <laughs> anyways yeah so they talk about how all these middlemen and hairstylists and what telephone cleaners Yeah, they clean up uh telephone i didn't know that yeah. It was a job. yeah which but and that's it seems like okay that's just put in there to talk about useless professions but then they develop this whole story and they go to prehistoric earth and they start to develop the society there but then there's one line and I, I don't have this underlined or audio bookable but they talk about how The planet that they came from, where there's now just a working class and sort of this upper ruling class, Mm -hmm. uh, that planet was very successful, but eventually died out from, like, a sort of a virus or something spread from an unclean telephone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, again, like a great like like good good early joke but then yeah. you see this like how it was a setup for something way later and then yeah then that plane is never talked about again it's just like ah oh, they did some good stuff but then they all yeah they all died oh, uh, from a yeah. dirty telephone and it's yeah so again introducing not only like a character but a whole race of people uh and a whole planet and yeah just kind of like oh, they're they're gone they had their they had their fun but they're out of here um yeah, totally, uh, totally Douglas Adams uh, doing his thing. Yeah, because we do spend quite a lot of time with that arc P in space and on the planet. Um, but then the entire planet they left, gone, done. Yep. Uh, and then that's that becomes, I guess, one of the intriguing parts at the end of the book is, yeah, so, so now on this planet are these middlemen from one planet, and, and, and yeah, again, these even more prehistoric people that Arthur thinks are going to be the humans yeah. that haven't developed language yet. But then Ford, I think, tells Arthur, comes to realize that, no, the Golga Fringians, uh these silly, <laughs> kind of, yeah, really absurd uh, leaf hoarders, uh, they become the civilization on Earth eventually and not the sort of more, I don't know, like, lovably naive uh current inhabitants on the planet yeah yeah arthur the one thing that he does on the planet before the before the resolution of the book is he makes a scrabble board and and letters and tries to play scrabble with some of these prehistoric pre-language folks yep uh which was yeah great scene as well uh and then yeah i mean another but so that part had several jokes sort of within it too because eventually i think i don't know if it's Arthur or ford who gets frustrated and tosses one of the scrabble tiles that arthur carved um into uh, like into a river or something nearby okay. and <laughs> yeah i hold on i'm gonna see if i can audio book yeah, this yeah. Check it um out. yep here we go so he picked up the letter Q, this audiobook by the way, sorry he picked up the letter Q and hurled it into a distant privet bush where it hit a young rabbit. The rabbit hurled off in terror and didn't stop till it was set upon and eaten by a fox which choked on one of its bones and died on the bank of a stream which sub- subsequently washed it away. Um, so that's like you know how everything is sort of a random circumstance, etc. But then I think later, one of the girls uh, that either Arthur or Ford Prefect are starting to see or date or something uh, dies from drinking water, basically poisoned by a dead fox, yeah. which was previously, yeah, killed by this weird circumstance. Yeah, it's, that's great. And that's right before the end of the book. Like yeah. that, that needed to be put in while this whole thing supposedly being resolved Uh perfect yeah there's a lot like that at the end there's a whole scene too that i really like with uh, with a woman who is doing market research on fire uh, so trying to figure out what, what people want from fire and how they relate to fire and so i think ford at that point just getting more and more frustrated with them and and that's i think the point at which ford and arthur maybe just are like you know what this is this is it. We're just here, and we kind of close the book with them talking to these two girls. And I think Arthur says something like, "Nothing matters." Uh, it's a beautiful day, though. So the end. Next book. Um, sorry, my yeah. On to the next one. Um, yeah, I uh, again got a little bit of weird weird ear virus symptom going on there, so. Didn't catch all that, but I know that you nailed it. Do you agree? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, I always agree. Anything I can't hear, I agree with, always. It's good. Um, I'm going to put and... my hand over your mouth from now on. Or over your ears, <laughs> I guess. But not your mouth. Yeah, go go ahead and try. Okay, because I can move my ears around the room very easily. Oh, Ow! Man, i just pass right through you. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> <I> got him. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to have happen. Uh, this is my axe to grind. Uh, this, this week on my axe to grind, I'm gonna stop doing this whole pretense for this segment. Uh, but that's Whoa. not my axe to grind. So, <laughs> my axe to grind is in the moment where it seems like the book and potentially the whole series is going to be resolved. They, uh, so Arthur and Ford, this man, this is a really involved, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sorry, sorry. my axe to grind should be how stupid and involved this is going to be So that's my And now it's time for my axe to grind My (laughs) axe to grind is how stupid and long this axe to grind segment is going to be And that concludes my axe to grind John? Uh, My smaller axe to grind is when (laughs) you motherfuckers try to interrupt my segment and jump on my shit Back to my regular <laughs> extra grind. My extra grind is the inception of axes to grind because what was that even about anyway? And my Dyson's karaoke corner. Actually, Dyson's question master corner. Why do they have the same sound effects? Who knows? <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Uh, and we're back to my extra grind. Good call, hitting the rewind button there. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you let me hit, touch that one button. That's the only thing that you allow me to touch in this entire spaceship. Yeah, 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 I see your finger just hovering right above it. Yeah, I love it. It's the Constantly. best. Anytime I see something stupid, I should probably use that more, really. Hit that rewind button? Yeah, for sure. We should just rewind Sorry. the whole episode. Let's rewind the whole episode back to the point where we said, yeah, you don't have to listen to anything else after this because <laughs> I think we proved our point. That's really But, cute. anyways. Okay. This is still my axe to grind corner or whatever. Are we in um, regular axe to grind territory? Do we get out of the Inception axe to grind? I, yeah, that's okay. what the original rewind button was for. Okay. Um, so I'm not even going to give any context to this because it's going to take too goddamn long, and this is already drug on long enough. But eventually, um, Ford and Arthur... <sighs> fuck. <laughs> they use the Scrabble <laughs> tiles to try and get the question that's the answer to everything that, that 42 is potentially the answer for we know and is the answer we don't know the question exactly and the question that they come up with by randomly drawing Scrabble tiles from the bag of Scrabble tiles is you multiply six by nine my extra grind is the fact that, that does not equal 42 this could also be my other segment because that's based on numbers usually so that's 54 so fuck you guys that's max to grind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, that was really involved. Let's it, rewind that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as I was saying, and we we're back. Had max to grind yet this episode? It's weird. I don't think there's going to be one. I okay. haven't. I can't come up with a good one. Yeah, I mean, the the last episode was kind of number-related. It might have been, like, a listener challenge, almost. Right. That's yeah, cool. I'm just... I think I might just retire that segment entirely. Okay. Well, I mean, think about it. All right. It might come out of retirement next podcast. We'll see. Okay, all right. I'll try something new this time. Well, um, John, I think... Um, I almost wish that we had just gone ahead and read the third volume as well with this one, honestly, because I, I did feel like it just cut off at the end and I was left wanting some more uh, resolution. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get to it at some point. Right. I mean, I think, fittingly, the very end of this book, talking about essentially coming to, or coming to no resolution or feeling a little frustrated with where this ended, was this is audiobook, the very last three line four lines of the book. Good. Uh audiobook and then this is a quote. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, end quote. He said it last. What's that? Oh, just something I threw to the river this evening. I don't think I'll be wanting it anymore, said Arthur Dent. So there you go. Okay. Sure. <laughs> well I, I guess okay, I, I forgot to say this earlier. I do think that that is definitely the luxury that Douglas Adams has afforded himself is that he has this in-universe book. And so he can just kind of come and go out of whatever language, whatever description, whatever obscure character facts he wants to at any moment, partly because he has the whole series is essentially built around a book that does just that. And so I I do think it's interesting in terms of thinking in-universe there's this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book and bigger universe Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy does essentially the same thing. And so I I think that that is pretty interesting. The end. That was my point. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, see you later. (laughs) Um, No, yeah, I mean, I... I agree with that. That is, I mean, that's literally the only thing that I, that I think besides these like four characters who survived, um, that's the only thing that really ties this whole kind of story together. And it does give him a ton of leeway. It's like, yeah, this book exists and it's filled with facts and all this kind of stuff. I mean that the book itself in, in the book universe, um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of functions like the narrator almost. It's like we can pop in between these scenes and we know, x amount about these different people and we'll tell you this story but then we're going to go to something else because that's how it works um so yeah it definitely is excuse me it is yeah just like a plot device or a way to for douglas adams to focus on the things that he that he is interested in which is basically uh jokes good for him great job dougie you ready for our last segment of the which is Dyson's karaoke corner where the hell is he I should have put myself into Dyson's question master corner to ask that question because it was the most important question that I had okay all day so I know that last episode I introduced a new theme song for Dyson's karaoke corner but I actually have a new new one ready to go so I'm I'm bummed that he doesn't want to come out of his time gauge today I I do I really have a new one yeah Nice. Well, we'll get to it whenever we get to it, I guess. Yeah. Before you lure him out of that time cage. It's tough. He really likes it in there. Loves it. That's the thing that the galaxy does not understand. He likes it in there. We don't get any mail about the fucking listener challenge, but all these people are concerned about Dyson, our favorite teammate, Mm -hmm. that he lives in a time cage. He loves it. He loves it. Dyson gets so much fan mail too, just constantly. Exactly. And people and, are people are sending him rare and exotic worms from all across the, the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like he likes the worms he has, all right. <laughs> and what they don't realize is he hates reading. So stop hates reading. To him. Loves wor- loves worms. I almost said words. <laughs> That'd be ironic if he hated reading but loved words. Uh, loves worms. Loves the time cage. Loves karaoke. Loves corners. Loves us. Loves questions. Get all right, universe. Yeah, stop it. Uh, so the segment you're referring to was what <laughs> originally? Re- re- de- rating rainbow. <laughs> Reading rainbow. Yes. Rating Rainbow. rainbow. Rate a book because you can it's rate a rainbow. book. Rating Rainbow. Hi, this is. Sorry. Uh, I'm your host, John Love, and this is my deal. And with me, as always, Brent Aldridge. Hi, Brent. Hi, John. How are you doing today? Never been better. How would you rate today? It's rating Rainbow after all. Dark. Good. I would rate today. Seven Worms for Sundi. I mean for Dyson. Sometimes I Sometimes I say his name backwards. I, I become dyslexic in the rating rainbow corner. Cashier Anyways. Seven Worms for Dyson. Yes. <laughs> that's that's really gonna become the calling card of this entire series. <laughs> seven Worms for Dyson. And this week on Seven Worms for Dyson, we have One, two, three, four, five, six, seven worms. And this week on Seven Worms for Dyson, we'll have seven rare and exotic worms from our listeners all across the galaxy for Dyson to try. And by this week, I mean next week, because he's not here, suckas. And that was Seven Worms for Dyson. Uh, And back to Rating Rainbow. Hey, Brent, what would you rate this book? Well, I'm I'm actually going to do the same thing that I did with Dune. Assuming that we'll read more of these Hitchhiker's books in the future. So I'm going to rate it based on all of the Hitchhiker's books that we've read, which is only two. So I liked The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the most, and I liked The Restaurant at the End of the Universe second most. Great, great rating. Thanks. I worked hard on it. Ugh. I literally I... have been crafting it all day. The Galaxy approves. Uh, so I'm going to give this, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this book three and a half legs out of two legs. Oh. Um, no, yeah, as we all know, anything more or less than two is not perfect. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, So, yeah, this, like, I I mean, I voiced my concerns with the book over throughout the entire thing. I liked all the jokes. It was entertaining, but yeah, I just didn't really care about any of the characters except for Marvin, R.I.P. Marvin. (laughs) And that was Rating Rainbow. Take a look or just read a book, you dummies. I'm glad we installed that applause light in here, and that random people keep walking by and applauding us. That's really kind of of all of them. Yeah, in my mind, the applause is really what makes Rating Rainbow what it is. I couldn't agree with you more. Try to. Mm, I agree with you just a little bit more now. Oh, yeah. You're right. I see what you mean. Well, John. All right. Uh, in that case, we definitely need to go feed Dyson. He's probably getting hungry in the time cage right now. But before we do that, we need to wrap this mother out. All right. Um, yeah, we have to go feed Dyson. Well, actually, we have to go record our segment Seven Worms for Dyson. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Worms for Dyson. Yep, Uh, so we'll go do that, and I guess I'll start by laying down a beat. Yo, 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 restaurant at the end of the universe. Get here in your spaceship or your space hearse. Yo, I said, what about breakfast at Millaway's? We've been serving happy customers for billions of days. Yo, yo. My boy John, laying down beats from Heaven's Gate, getting my girl, (laughs) we're going on a date, yo. My girl's got long brown hair and wears a whale skin jacket, yo, I'm dating Princess Arulin. you can have it, yo, yo, yo. Yo, how is that possible, you might say. She's from the Doonaverse. I'll explain it in the next verse. Yo, yo, Paul Maude did die. <laughs> She's single again. Yo. Um, she listened to our podcast and gave it a 10 in the rating rainbow. Thought it was a 10 out of 10. She said, I gotta meet these guys. I gotta eat some french fries. <laughs> yo, yo. Yep. Yep. Friends on a date, and I'm here to crash it. You got more than two legs, I'll pass it. You got more than three eggs, I'll crack them. And then I'll make an omelette, because I like to spin. My uh, thing that makes scrambled eggs. It's a spinning machine now, you guys. It makes sense. Princess Arulan from the Duneverse. My boy Brent is... Spitting verses earlier. Now he's spitting beets. Now he's eating meats from all over the galaxy. Eating worms <laughs> from his fantasies with a rule on. He's got a rule uh, about that. He doesn't like to eat fat because he's made out of paper. Gotta keep his figure. Gotta keep it in his dinner. That didn't make sense, but they never do. And <laughs> bye. See ya. When she goes, she's gone. wants to do, she knows what she wants to do, and I know I'm faking it, I'm not really faking it, such a dubious soul. Lines. I've just been faking it